0: Hey everybody, Greg Mahachko here. Thanks for hitting that download button and getting the newest episode of the Five Heart Podcast from CoronationAndJitteryMonkey.com. I uh, appreciate your interest, as always, and your fandom and your feedback. Haas and I recorded this episode. I want to say it's a very special episode, but really it's just the two of us probably rehashing some, uh, some past stories. But uh, we are doing a cross-examination of each other. Sounds dirty when I say it. Basically, we're asking each other the same questions that we've been asking all of our friends from Coronation for the last uh, six, seven, eight weeks, something like that. Uh, So that's what we have going on. But we actually recorded this episode last weekend. Uh, Haas is doing a bit of traveling uh, as we speak. I think he's out of the state right now. I say out of the state, out of Nebraska. He's he's away from home. So we wanted to get this one in the can early, which means that there has been a lot of stuff that has uh, gone on in the past few days that uh, we are not talking about necessarily. Uh, there's the Ohio State uh, situation. At, at I call it a situation, I call it a fiasco. It doesn't matter. It's it's a, a house in shambles, a dumpster fire, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and at the uh, center of it is a, uh, a domestically abused woman. I'm not going to stand on a soapbox and preach that's not that's just that's wrong you know Um, so we're not but but there's some some news there, some tidbits I encourage you to uh, uh, check back with coordination.com I'm sure you'll see articles stories you know know, links in in the uh, flakes things like that Um, but uh, from an institutional standpoint from you know the Alleged, you know, cover-ups or the—I don't i don't know even know if cover-ups, but but uh, the alleged, uh, you know, knowing about it and not reporting it, things like that, or as, as we learned Friday night, uh, herbs reported it and apparently allegedly, in, in, in his words, and that's where it died. We have to be better as a society, and, and again, I'm not going to stand here and, and, and preach, but at some point. There's a, a right and a wrong, and too many people, too many individuals have, have you know, gone down the wrong path uh, in, you know, their decision-making process. So again, I, I'm not, I'm not going to, uh, nothing, nothing to defend. Uh, I'm not going to spend any more time on it. It's just that. Uh, um, you know, somebody's in the wrong, and uh, maybe multiple individuals are in the wrong, and, uh, you know, somebody's got to, gotta you know, suffer. You know, somebody is made a victim of this. So anyway, uh, and off of that, football practice has begun. Football is back in Lincoln, and it is amazing. It, is, it brings a smile to my face knowing that we're just a few short weeks away from a college football Saturday in Lincoln Nebraska. I can't wait. It's going to be fantastic. So uh, make sure that you are keeping up to date. I, you know Coronation.com of course is probably where most of you uh, you know are, are hearing this podcast or, or through Coronation. Uh, so make sure that you uh, hit them up daily for updates, things like that. make sure you follow Coronation on uh, Twitter. On Facebook, make sure you get all the, the links there. Make sure that you follow the 5 Heart Podcast on uh, Twitter or like the Facebook page. Um, a lot of people download the show. Not too many people interact with uh, us, and, and we'd sure like to change that. We, If you have opinions on Husker football or on the show, uh, we certainly like to hear them. So uh, it is at the number 5 Heart Podcast on Twitter and Facebook.com slash 5, which is spelled out, Hard Podcast. Uh, heart podcast not five heart that would be different um but the five heart podcast and it is new with myself and hoss reuter and it's next
1: heart you gotta have heart miles and miles of heart
0: what is heart Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Hard is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Hard is finding the strength to run
1: down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red.
0: Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by CornNation.com, hosted by JitteryMonkey.com, part of the JitteryMonkey family of podcasts. My name is Greg Mahochko, and uh, returning this week in the blue corner. No, I'm going to take that back. In the red corner. Had to fix that. We'll we'll fix it. We'll clear it up at post. Uh, Hoss Reuter is back. He is back after uh, uh, spending a week with family from out of state. How did you survive, buddy?
1: You really just got to put the blinders on and tune everything out, even stuff that you don't really particularly like hearing from family. You know, We all got those members of our family we did? that are kind of tough to deal with sometimes.
0: I, I, I am that particular uh, so, yeah, member.
1: Just, just put the blinders on and play ball.
0: It, it is important to note, and, and you shared this, in the Slack chat room so I hope that it's all right if I uh, disclose it publicly. A, miles, yeah. a milestone was reached last week in, in your family.
1: Correct. Um, I have a sister of mine who's a couple years younger than I am mm-hmm. and she's 25 and she's gone her entire life without dropping anything heavier than a dam or a hell. And that first of all up, first uh, of all we we, what was that?
0: we we we've got to applaud that. That takes effort. In this day, and I age. Know,
1: especially, especially growing up with me as a brother, I think I was, I think I was dropping f bombs by the time I was in third grade, having an older brother who taught me those words. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I have a pretty long history of dropping expletives. But uh, yeah, she dropped her first f bomb. So now it was yeah quite the sight. Did
0: everybody look at you? Because here, here's what I. When when you when you relayed the story to uh, the, the rest of the the coordination team, and you said, uh, "Yeah, my kid's sister, you know, dropped her first f bomb of her life," and I was stunned. And then I thought, "Well, I don't really know the dynamics of his family. Maybe there's a large gap between Haas and uh, his sister, where maybe she's ten. Uh, but no, the fact that she's twenty five, I'm I'm more impressed that it took this long.
1: I am too, so, quite frankly. Uh, so I didn't even witness it either. I was in the other room.
0: And, and congratulations to your sister. Uh, it, it, it was time, uh, especially with football yeah, season coming. So welcome to the park, Al. That's right. Yeah. Let's, let's, we'll get her a little trophy, a little certificate, uh, and uh, a hearty handshake, and and we'll send her on her way. She, she's she's a big kid now.
1: Yep. Welcome to the majors. That's right.
0: That's right. Right, <laughs> uh, so no guest this week. Uh, of course, uh, last week it was myself and Patrick Gerhardt as you were uh, spending time with your family, and this week you uh, came to me and said, "If we don't have any li- anybody lined up, let's just." And and I of course took it one step further, made it slightly inappropriate. But you you essentially said, uh, "I'll sit in the chair for the cross examination," and I I came back with. This is gonna sound dirty, but we could cross-examine each other. So
1: that's what she said.
0: Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, and, hey, wait a minute. I, I said it too. Uh, so that's what we're gonna do. Um, a, a lot of this stuff, of course, I think is is information that we've already shared. But we're gonna run down the list of questions and uh, and answer them as we have uh, asked uh, all of our friends at coordination. And we'll 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 get, in, get out and uh, we'll we'll get on our way. Before we do that, we didn't get a chance to talk about you know Patrick and I talked a little Nebraska ball before his cross examination last week, and what we didn't really have a talk uh, a chance to talk about was the Big Ten Media Days. Mm-hmm. What what was your what were some of your takeaways from the Big Ten Media Days?
1: The quiet confidence of the re. I'm trying to. I want to find the perfect word here. Just the quiet confidence of the Big Red Revival. You know, the, you better get us now while you still can, because it might be a while before you get us again. And talking about how we're going to be dangerous in year two. And just not, you know, Nebraska's, you know, our contingent at Media Days, head coach and players, it being commercial kind of the social media paper tiger type of stuff that it was in the riley era and more about just a business trip all about ball you know we're here for a reason we're gonna talk about the program we're gonna talk about what we're expecting going into year one of this coaching staff and and, you know thank you for your time and we're on the plane back to lincoln we're gonna get ready for the 2018 season it's just workmanlike and you know kind of saw some of the you know there's just a swagger about the program that those three players, Gerald Foster, Mick Stoltenberg, Stanley Morgan portrayed, along with Scott Frost. And I'm, I mean, I'm always pumped for football, but that really just, you know, it was like pouring gasoline on a fire. So I'm, I'm raring to go 35 days, man. It it
0: seemed like Frost was, you know, had that same vocabulary is not the right word mentality. I mean, he's, you know, even Keel but, but he's got the same, you know, podium demeanor at big 10 media days as he had, you know, going back to last, you know, fall with his introductory press conference. You know, when, when, uh, he said, you know, last, last, at the tail end of 2017, uh, you know, somebody asked him about, uh, adjusting schemes and game plans. And he said, well, you know, I hope that they're going to have to adjust to us type of thing. That kind of as you say, kind of quiet confidence, very like like business like, uh, almost surgical, uh, mm-hmm. in and out. You know, he's not going to do what I do all the time, which is waste words. Um, you know, he, he's going to be efficient uh, at the podium as he is on the sideline. Uh, I think for me, that that's one of the more exciting aspects, uh, and maybe not talked about as much about Scott Frost. He. He's not going to waste anybody's time. He's going to get in there, answer your questions as, uh, you know, briefly as, as needs to be, and then move on to the next one or, or finish his day, go on with the, the rest of his business.
1: Exactly. It's all, it's all about ball at this point. It's not trying to win people over, you know, like under in the Riley era, you know, like I alluded to earlier, the social media campaigns that made us look a whole lot better than we really feel and it's just frost being the same you're going to get the same person from frost every time even keel business-like approach and uh, i think that that kind of consistency of character because a team takes on the personality of its head coach will lead to a consistency as a program top to bottom it'll show on the field it'll show in preparation you're seeing it The consistent results in the weight room in year one? Because, I mean, consistency, I think the end of Scott Frost's career as the head coach in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I hope it's a damn long time that he's here, you know, 25, 30 years. I think one word that'll probably be most used to describe the Scott Frost era will be consistency. It's,
0: I don't know, funny or coincidental or ironic. I don't know the, the, the best word to, you but as you said, you know, hoping it's a a long and successful tenure for Scott Frost. Uh, um, I go back to something that uh, uh, our fearless leader John Johnston tweeted uh, about a week ago, maybe maybe a little bit longer. Said that uh, you know he hopes that you know Scott Frost is the last head coach you know at Nebraska in his lifetime, and not to say that you know he you know John was saying. Because he's had his health scares, of course, as well. You know, going back a couple years, not to say that he plans on kicking the bucket anytime soon, but he wants that dynastic return where you have the longevity. You know, uh, the the Tom Osborne type of tenure uh, on the sidelines. If you go, I'm I'm going to, uh, you know, use the example in the NFL that I'm most familiar with, because it's you know the the team that I. You know, cheer for, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers. They are, they have had three head coaches: Mike Tomlin, Bill Cowher, Chuck Noll, since like early 1970s. That's the mm. type of of consistency, to use your word, um, that I think John was alluding to that you want to see, and I think that all, all Husker fans want to see. And they want Scott Frost, the the homegrown kid. The um, I, I don't want to use the word prodigal son, but to some extent, it, it's almost fitting. But they want him to be you know i guess claiming his birthright that that's the best way that i, I have to explain it and I, I think i think of course going back to last fall his hiring unified the fan base which had been divided for some time and uh, i i think mm-hmm. everybody's on the same page looking forward to uh, the 2018 season
1: absolutely you know for so long since my time coming into as a fan of Nebraska football, there's always been that kind of almost a civil war of sorts amongst the fan base. You had your Solich holdouts and, you know, people who didn't want to see Solich fired and you have people who wanted to move forward. And then, you know, no one was really willing to, you know, fight a battle on Callahan's behalf, but then it continued into the Bokelini era you know, bow Leavers versus bow Leavers. Right. Um, then Riley guys against bow guys, and so for the first time in since the early 2000s of being unified as a fan base, that goes a long way. Everyone's pulling in the same direction. You know, the and I mean, this going on outside of North Stadium. You know, you can say, well, it doesn't have an effect on the product on the field, and it doesn't. But just for the sake that you know. There's nothing, there's no noise, you know. There's no noise on the outside of it. It's just like, hey, let's let's get it done. And one of the things that I want to touch on about when you were mentioning by since his hiring and, you know, John wanting to see Frost as the last head coach of Nebraska in his lifetime and just the principle of consistency that we want to see as a program return to Lincoln is that, I think about from, you know, the context of the Osborne era. Look, you know, learning about stuff that happened before I was born or too young to remember. And schemes change. Players graduate. New players come in. New assistant coaches come in. Guys get promoted to other jobs. Guys get fired because they're not quite hitting the mark. But principles don't change. You know, the core values of a program don't change. And over time, you know, when you start to get an influx of talent and you have a cutting-edge scheme and you got strength and conditioning all, you know, squared away and you know who you are and what you're going to do and you execute that plan, those core values as a program are what I just can't wait to see come back because that's what's really going to be the sustaining driving force, you know, for a long tenure for Scott Frost and Lincoln.
0: It's uh, the sum of all parts and mm-hmm. looking forward to uh, as you said a few moments ago we're just uh, you know we're just a few weeks away from the first game, uh, we're maybe a week now away from practices beginning and and we'll see some you know more shakeout we'll have a better idea of, of what the team looks like as the weeks go on and we're edging ever closer to having uh, Mr. John Johnston himself join us here on the show for his cross-examination, it will, oh, that was, by the way, Brian hated that s- statement. Uh, he, he hated that. Really? One of, one of our, right. uh, uh, a peek behind the curtain here in our Husker locker days, uh, we, the, the podcast that we did over there was more of a round table, you know, a topic would be brought up and, and we'd all chime in on the topic and, and, uh, in the introductions, uh, Brian was frequently, much to his chagrin, introduced as Brian for whom the bell toll on, and you could just hear you could just hear him gritting his teeth like Toon. so not, not it was not his favorite. Uh, <coughs> so um, oh. but we, we work Brian into the conversation as often as we can here. He's he's always with us and I know he's excited for twenty eighteen
1: Husker football as well. So um, let's get on to Put in a word with the big guy about that Wisconsin game, all right? Yeah, that's
0: right. Um, I'd be curious to know if they're more playing football up there or if he and the big guy are bowling. I'd, I'd be curious about that.
1: Maybe the game's on as they're sitting in a bowling alley. There you go. That's a,
0: You know what? That's the best of both worlds, I suppose. Yeah. Um, all right. So I will have you put your uh, left hand on the book. Your right hand is right. there. And Haas Reuter, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I do. As do I. As we mentioned, folks, uh, in the cross examination, because we've uh, shared stories with many of our coronation colleagues, uh, some of these questions might be rehashing some of our, you know, some of our answers may be a rehashing of, of previous conversations. But we will uh, at least try to keep the rehashing brief or perhaps uh, expand on, on previous thoughts in, in, in our stories as we go along. So, Haas Reuter, I ask you, are you a Nebraska native?
1: I am. Born in Omaha, Nebraska on November 26, 1990. That
0: was just a couple days and a few years after my wife was born, just so you know.
1: Oh, no, another November birthday. That's. The month of champions.
0: I'll tell you what, she got herself a first place trophy, right here. Let me tell you,
1: she won a championship. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, no, I definitely won the jackpot there. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, so, born in Omaha, and uh, we've made no secret that uh, you lived or born or born in Omaha, raised in Gretna.
1: So, yep. Been been in
0: Gretna yep. your whole life.
1: Pretty much, yeah. Um, it's not a bad place. It's definitely not the cow town it used to be. It's growing, which is good. I always like to see a little bit of an urban sprawl, you know, continue on its way out here. Because at one point, Gretna was just a cow town, you know, nothing more nothing a little more than a wide spot in the road. And so, see stuff like the outlet mall go in and southwest Omaha edge ever closer to Gretna, it's, it's cool to see.
0: It's only a matter of time until Gretna becomes uh, incorporated into Omaha.
1: Well, it can't happen because of the county line. But oh, okay, well, unofficially, it'll just be absorbed. You know, developers in Omaha will find a way to you know, get people in Sarpy County to, you know, buy in, sell off their land, stuff like that. So, you know, anymore, it's just like Gretna is just another neighborhood in Omaha. That's really all it is. So
0: question 1A, or I should say 1B to you then, not from a driving through, but what's the furthest west in Nebraska that you've ever been to, like, visit, Uh, you know, where you actually stayed a night?
1: Uh, That would be Lake McConaughey. Okay. up there for about a week when I was, oh, 15, 16, did some fishing, Um, got just, bit up by the swarms of biting flies right on the beach. <laughs> um, discovered the how awesome dry heat is compared to humidity. And uh yeah so oh, oh. western Nebraska I mean I don't know if I'd live out there because I uh I, I enjoy big city, at least being you know within a twenty minute drive of a big city.
0: And that's funny you said because I I don't know how how many people are in Gretno? Ballpark,
1: no, the town and surrounding acreage communities anymore. Uh, about seven thousand people.
0: Okay, so that's that's about the community that I used to live in uh, in Salem when when we started this podcast. Um, and where I'm at now is about forty thousand people, and it's big city living. Well, and and then I drive every day around St. Louis for work. And the one thing that this job that I have has taught me is that I hate cities. Uh, yeah. I would much rather, I mean, granted, what I do in the city is big and clumsy and cumbersome. I drive a, a big truck around there, which we'll get to in, in the day job part uh, here in a few minutes. But it's it's just a pain in the butt. And maybe it's just that it's St. Louis. Maybe Lincoln, Omaha are, are nicer people or easier to get along with maybe it's just the parts of st louis that i'm in where uh um you know it's i don't know a little highfalutin type of thing um i don't know just I, there's something about being in the city that i always used to think that i would love i never growing up i never consider myself a country kid and that's exactly what i am at heart i'm just a i'm a small town quiet you know quiet neighborhood country kid and uh I'm all right with that. So, hey,
1: okay. different strokes for different folks. Absolutely. It's one
0: less, uh, I'm one less person that uh, is going to be bothering somebody else's daily commute around the city. You know, ideally, when I'm not in the city
1: anymore. You're not doing 500 in the left lane on I-70? No. Um,
0: I 70? No. I've, well, um, statute of limitations, I don't know if it applies, but I, I drive the truck responsibly carefully but not slowly
1: you keep up with the flow of traffic yeah there you go more people in omaha need to do that <laughs> it's a problem. i'm usually leading the flow
0: probably the same people who are yelling at uh, uh other fans for standing in the football games
1: probably well you know it's always about you know usually a dusty buick with a county <laughs> license plate but i don't want to alienate our our, our little base so i'll <laughs> stop there next question please
0: all right um i guess the next question is to me then we we've made n- go ahead are uh, you a
1: nebraska native
0: Yeah, uh, definitively not uh but you know again it's one of those things where i didn't have a choice where i was born and raised so to speak it's actually funny um and maybe i've mentioned this before i would have never thought you know when I was 20, 21, especially 21, when I moved out to Nebraska, uh, that by the time that I was 35, 30, yeah, 34, 35, that I'd be living 10 minutes away from the hospital where I was born. Just would have never thought that my life would have taken me back, uh, here. So not a Nebraska native, uh, but you know, definitely, uh, feel the good life and, and enjoy every trip that I have back to Nebraska. So.
1: Special place. It is Nebraska pride, 500 miles wide.
0: I, uh, it, it, it just, it, it tickled me when I was told about this job opportunity in Shatter. And I was 21, as I mentioned, or, or maybe even it was shortly before my 21st birthday. And I'm at the broadcast center in St. Louis, and uh, the uh, placement job placement director comes up to me after one of the sessions, and he says, uh, "Greg, i want to tell you about this job." I'm bringing it to you first because I think you're the one who's most passionate about sports. It was a sports radio uh, job, he says. I think you're the one who's most ready to be done here, and he says I think you're the one with the only one with enough balls to pack up and move to Shadron, Nebraska. And I said, uh, where? <laughs> you know, because I, I if you're not from. That air well, maybe I was just me being ignorant, but you know, like I'd heard of Lincoln in Omaha, and that was about it. So, uh, it was really nice. Uh, you know, I, I sent my resume and cover letter and demo uh tape out to uh KCSR stereo AM610 KCSR Shadrad Communications, Shadrad.com or Chadrad CHAD. Of course, it's, it's spelled like or pronounced like SH. Anyway, uh, sent them out there. They flew me out, uh, from St. Louis to Denver, Denver to Shadron, gave me a company car for the weekend, and, uh, and I kind of visited around the town a little bit, had, had a good visit, uh, uh, you know, met the rest of the radio staff, and, um, you know, a week or so later, they called and offered me the job, and at 21 years old, and having never lived away from home, I went to community college, I packed up my stuff, and, uh, Mom and Dad drove me out to Shadron. In two days, we made it from uh, our house in in New Baden, Illinois. Look it up. And all the way out to Ogallala in one day, and then zipped up to Shadron the next day. So,
1: it's a hell of a haul, man. Yeah,
0: my dad. It was, he's he's like four o'clock. Let's go. Um, oh yeah. And they were in the truck pulling the. It was. It's amazing how much crap I've accumulated in the last fifteen years. Uh, it was, you know, my dad's pickup truck. A small U-Haul, little trailer, and then my '98 Ford Taurus that I drove, uh, and a few things in there. And uh, uh, my dad drives like I drive. We stop to uh, fill a tank and empty another one. You know, pack pack a cooler. Uh, yep. You know, put put some sandwiches in there, whatever you need. I'm wearing a sleeveless shirt, and uh, I you know all across Nebraska, sun is shining. I've got my windows down. Because it's, you know, like further west you go. Of course, like you said, it's a dry heat. Got the windows down, the music uh, cranking, and by the time we got to Ogallala, I had a red left arm and a white right arm.
1: <laughs> oh, I've been there.
0: Man. So I've been there. It was a it was a memorable trip, and uh, a fantastic uh, three years and three months spent up in Shattering. So very grateful for uh, everybody up there.
1: And the rest is history. Now you have a Nebraska podcast. That's right. We'll grandfather you as a Nebraska native.
0: Ah, thank you. That's that was the dream. Um, I'm just gonna. I'll, get my- I'll
1: petition. I'll petition the Native Son board.
0: <laughs> I thank you. And and my yep. son, my son went to Omaha when he was five months old. So can we can we grandfather him in as well?
1: Yeah, whole lineage. Yes. Yep. That- We'll, we'll, we'll grant you head rights for the lineage. That, man, you have no
0: idea how much that means. Thank you. Just doing my part. Just <laughs> doing my part for a fellow Nebraska native. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you, Haas. Um, so I know you alluded to not mentioning it on Twitter. Uh, when it comes to day job, you can talk as much or as little about it as you want to.
1: Uh, yeah, I... I work for I've worked at enterprise we'll pick you up since I was 20 um, basically it's not something I ever wanted to do for a career at 19 20 years old I dropped out of going to school college um, just what my mind wasn't in the right place for it at the time I just I was never a good student in high school had the ability just wouldn't do the work and so when I got to college and it just was kind of like oh I can I can skip class and you know unless my parents know like I'm just gonna skip and so I, I dropped out pretty quick and I just went to work and start, got on an enterprise and was thinking that I was only going to be there for a few months and ended up being there for you know a year goes by a couple of years and then about four years later I decided to make the decision to go back to school where which I'm at UNO now and I just figured you know, been here this long might as well just stay here instead of starting a new job while I'm starting you know school and so I put in seven years there I kind of a jack of all trades do a little bit of everything around the place just kind of feel like an offensive lineman there do a lot of the dirty work and you know don't get a whole lot of the glory so uh but yeah it's a good place I I complain a lot about it but hey we all complain about work yeah we do <laughs>
0: um I'm, I'm the same way uh, as far as, you know, this, this job that I'm at now is probably, even though it's somewhat inconsistent, it's maybe my, at least the last four or five weeks have been some of the bigger money-making weeks. Uh, what I do is I, I drive a, a truck. I deliver five-gallon water jugs to homes, offices, factories, warehouses, you know, any of our customers, it's not just water. It's not just the five gallon jugs. It's three gallon jugs, uh, two and a half gallon, one gallon, 16 ounce, 10 ounce, six and a half ounce, basically water, a lot of water, coffee, coolers, things like that. And uh, I drive the truck around. I did not ever drive anything bigger than like my pickup truck or let me rephrase, nothing bigger than like a a Ram 3500 uh, Mm -hmm. truck until I got this job got a class B CDL, uh, last fall. And so I've been doing that. And I, I tell people, you know, people ask about the job. It's, I say, you know, the part of the job that doesn't bother me is the physicality. These jugs are anywhere between 43 and 47 pounds, give or take, you know, how full they are. Um, and I, you know, move two two of them at a time, you know, one in each hand. I, I've, I've lost 30 pounds since, since I've been on this job, um, you know, of, of fat and I've put on some muscle, uh, the body transformation in the last 12 months is pretty incredible. I don't don't say that that's not a hashtag humblebrag or anything like that. Uh, it's just work. Um, you know, I sat Mm. at a desk and tried selling cars for a few years and had some success and then the success went away. So I had to, you know, try to do, I remember I I was texting my wife last year when I was sitting in a small you know company van that didn't have ac didn't have a radio and it was 100 degrees out in july and i'm telling her all this and she's like you know i'm sorry that that you have to do that you know she's a night shift nurse working 12 hour shifts 12 and a half hour shifts you know three four times a week and i told her i texted her back i said you know i i'd do this in 200 degree heat if it meant you didn't have to pick up extra shifts because you know we couldn't pay our bills you know um very, very thankful for what she does and you know, because she's a nurse, I I totally understand my place and that I'm not the main breadwinner in the family and, and I'm fine with that, but I'm not gonna make her, you know, like tax herself more than necessary. So the job has benefited me in in trying to, you know, bring home more bacon, so to speak. Um, and we've had a guy out with a back injury, work related of course, for the last month or so, so I've been doing his stuff. And making his kind of money, which has been kind of nice, but uh, that that'll go away soon, and I'll just go back to being a little peon, and uh, uh, you know. But that's what I do. That's what I do have done for the last year, and we'll probably do that for another year or so, and maybe move to a part-time job at my end game. I'm, I'm going to uh, uh, give a shout out to another podcast that I listen to, and, and I encourage anybody. My age, our age, uh, anybody who in- remembers the '90s vividly—not necessarily '90s Husker football, but just the '90s as a decade in general. Um, there's a podcast out there called Tom and Jim's Top Five, which we've referenced before when we were doing our top five, uh, you know, favorite Husker games and least favorite Husker uh, games uh, a few months ago. Um, but they, their most recent episode was top five jobs or careers you wanted to have when you were a kid, you know, like, like oh, what do I want to be when I grow up? And as I'm listening to this episode, Haas, it dawned on me, I'm like, man, I didn't really aspire to do a whole lot when I was a kid. I didn't really have a whole lot of amb- ambition. Uh, there was, you know, the radio that I kind of discovered in college and did that for over a decade. And I've just kind of floundered. So the next goal the next, you know, hope for me uh, is to go back to school, much like you did, but not not quite a university setting, but a barber college. I think I like to be a barber. Um, oh yeah. I, I, you know, especially as my son gets older, I, you know, if I have my own barber shop, that'd be fantastic. But I want to be able to, you know, put a little league schedule up on the board and say, all right, these are the evenings that I'm going early. I, I, I consider myself a family man, um, and I want to be there for. Uh, you know ball games and big moments and things like that so
1: all right i'd, I'd stop in for a haircut and a
0: beard trim i'd i you know what uh we'll have the games on every saturday that's all i know
1: oh, perfect so perfect and make it something well you're open sunday so i'll stop in what, that day did, did i say sunday yeah. or i meant saturday well saturday you know usually i'm you know i know i know where you're in on saturdays <laughs> I, uh, uh, right now, I don't leave the house much on Saturdays unless I'm going to the game. A few maybe, years down the road, Lord willing, be the, coaching uh,
0: um, the, I could just see, maybe, maybe I should close during the game because I could see a, a big moment happening and a bzzz And, oh, crap. Well, this haircut's going to be on the house today, officer
1: <laughs> How do you feel about buzz cuts, right. sir?
0: <laughs> It'll grow back, don't worry. <laughs> um, oh, we can blunt that. So, we know that you are a lifelong Husker fan. You, I am. You were uh, uh, born into it, bred for it. What was your earliest
1: Husker memory? You know, I have a pretty vague memory of the 1996 Fiesta Bowl against Florida. And the funny story here about that game, there's couple funny stories actually about a month before that game my mom and dad went down to Florida Orlando for something for my dad I think it was like a respiratory therapy conference that UNMC sent my dad down there for and so I was five years old I didn't I didn't care about football you know I didn't really know what football was I just remember hearing about some guy named Tommy Frazier for what seemed like 10 years no idea who he was you know I was more concerned with Jurassic Park toys and playing with my Legos and probably just beating in the way of the TV as my dad was trying to watch the game. And so my mom brought me back a Florida Gators hat for a Christmas present. And, you know, I remember like being five years old, alligators, they're like dinosaurs, you know, like wearing the hat, you know. And then uh, funny, you know, surprised my dad let that one fly, you know, in the face of playing Florida for the national championship. <laughs> And then the second part of that game is I remember sitting there watching it, and my grandma, my dad's mom, was over for the game as well, and she loved Husker football. Absolutely. She's a diehard Husker football fan. And she sat there with us kids as the game was going on, making fun of Steve Spurrier and counting injured Florida players with us. And So that's, that's probably my earliest memory, but it wasn't until 2002 when I went to my first game that – I went from, in the matter of about 24 hours, going from being like a Harry Potter and Star Wars nerd to just being hooked on football, you know. It wasn't long after that that I was just like, man, like, I love this stuff. You know, I want to watch football every Saturday now. Nebraska's my team, and unfortunately, that was the year that we went seven and seven, so I had a pretty rude baptism into (laughs) Husker football, but uh, I was hooked ever since, and it wasn't long after that that i realized that i wanted to coach football i remember i had a friend of mine who i rode the school bus with who he one day he was drawing football plays in a notebook and i was like hey man what are you doing he's like i'm drawing football plays hey i like football you know show me how to do that i think he drew up like a short side option play it's the solich era so you know that was solich's bread and butter i probably filled up about 200 notebooks ever since drawing plays and breaking stuff down so, yeah, that was, I got hooked, beat Penn, or Troy State that day, 31-16. Uh, Gross had two interceptions and ran back two punts for a touchdown. And after that game, I thought Jamal Lord was an absolute baller.
0: We've talked about uh, Lord on the show here before and, and our admiration for him. Uh, we both feel that he's kind of underrated in uh, Husker football lore and uh, – uh, Hey, he follows the show. I don't know if he listens, but I know he follows the show on Twitter. So, uh, uh, Jamal Lord, if you do listen to the show, if you're listening to this right now, reach
1: out. We'd love to have you on the show. Uh, Very sincerely. Let's talk about that Texas game. We won't talk about the pick at the end. Let's just talk about those 234 yards rushing you had against a top-five rushing defense in the country. That was a total man's game right there.
0: It was the kind of effort that – you know, uh, you know, a decade later, uh, you know, Taylor Martinez would be, I don't know, give, getting uh, uh, eyes, you know, Heisman eyes, you know, look, you know, mm-hmm. looking on it, and it's the type of uh, leadership effort that Tommy Armstrong was known for, and this is something that uh, Jamal Lord was doing a decade plus earlier. Again, just because of, I don't know, because of the era, perhaps, it just didn't. I don't know, didn't, didn't, doesn't get as much credit as I think he deserves. So,
1: And he had the misfortune of falling in the footsteps of a Heisman Trophy winner. Very true. And, I mean, Lord, was our entire offense, you know, to you. I mean, that supporting cast was horrendous. Bad offensive line, bad receivers, bad running backs. All he had was a true freshman, Matt Harrien. And Solich's play calling being so quarterback centric, teams were able to dial in on it. And, I mean, again, that's, it just makes that 234-yard performance against Texas even more, you know, special. I mean, that guy was insane that day. Solich, instead of throwing inside the 20 with less than a minute left, down 27-24, Solich would just let Lord, you know, run a couple option plays or quarterback counter. And worst comes to worst, you're centered in the middle of the field for a field goal to go to overtime. And, uh instead so I'll let us be an idiot and uh the pick happens nathan Basher in the corner of the end zone it is the you no know, it's, it's by the way point. that game was my first heartbreak as a husker fan is the it but his
0: effort jamal lord's effort in that you know 230 yards it, it's the type of effort where everybody knows what's coming on the defense and they were still unable to stop it I mean that was the kind mm-hmm. of Herculean effort that he had uh, that day. So, um, yeah, I mean, just we we will save uh, all of the Jamal Lord, you know, uh, kissing up. I don't say kissing up in disparagingly, but we'll save all of his praise for when he's on the show. Um, definitely, yeah. and I say that if he's on the show, we'll, we'll can't, not count our chickens before they're hatched. So.
1: All right, Greg. What? What's? Well, I can't ask you what your earliest memory of Husker football is, since you, you're a transplant. You know, working on actually those native head rights.
0: You'd be surprised. I have an earlier memory.
1: Okay, let's hear it.
0: It was the Orange Bowl, the 1995 Orange Bowl, Nebraska Ooh. Miami, and I remember okay. my dad because my dad's, you know kind of from a small town in, and, and, you know, the Midwest as well. I mean, he, he's born and raised in Illinois, as, same as me. And he – it was – for him, I don't know if it was so much of the, the football aspect of it, but it was the – the I don't know, the style of it. it he – we're – before the Orange Bowl, you know, and I, I don't – you know, I, I'm at this point, you know, just over 10 years old, but I never played football you know, didn't know really anything, didn't pay attention enough at, at the time to, to understand the game any, but, you know, I'm talking about it like I know, you know, I, I don't know how the conversation, I just know my dad was so adamant to root for Nebraska in that game because mm-hmm. of his, he, he's like, yeah, you don't, he's like, you know, Miami, they're just a bunch of punks down there, you know, and uh, uh, didn't say anything, you know, derogatory, just, you know, just didn't like, their, their, didn't like the, style. didn't like their style. Exactly. Didn't like that Miami swagger, if you will. Uh, I think, you know, for him, he appreciated that it was, you know, a Midwest school, a Midwest team that was going to be in there, uh, um, you know, playing for the championship. And, uh, I, I don't remember if we even watched the game, but I just know that, uh, cause I was, like I said, I was 12, something like that at the time. um, I just remember that he was very adamant about Miami losing. Maybe even it was more, you know, adamant that they lose rather than Nebraska win. He just didn't want to see Miami celebrating at the end of the night. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I think we could all agree, you know, especially in, in hindsight, nobody wanted to see Miami celebrate that night. So,
1: no, no one, no one uh, outside of probably some people in Miami very true so what was the uh what was the watershed moment that got you hooked on husker football
0: it, it's not a good moment uh it was the it was 2006 it was game against USC okay and I just at this point I'd been living with uh you know a couple husker fans in a in like a double wide there were let me do the math here I think there were like six, seven people living in this double wide. I, I had the smallest bedroom, but I was the only person who didn't share a room. So, you know, I was the last, also the last person to move in. Um, but uh, uh, we're all sitting there in a bar in Chattern on a Saturday watching the game. And I just, I kind of, it, it was the, it was the, um, yeah, the, the atmosphere and I just kind of soaked it all in. And I I think for the first time, because my roommate previously, you know, he, he didn't give a a rip about, you know, Husker football. He was, he was a music guy. And, and, uh, you know, so Saturday nights, oftentimes I was hanging out with him and his band in, in the bar, you know, in the college town there, uh, you know, setting up gear and hanging out, watching the show and trying to pick up girls and, Mm-hmm. Un, not being successful and helping him tear down gear and going back home, uh, playing video games, things like that. So having this change of scenery and you know living with, you know, Nebraska natives, uh, Husker fans, you know, people who had, had spent you know their whole lives being Husker fans, that started to rub off on me. And then we are watching that USC game and seeing, you know, the the emotional roller coaster that they were on in that game and and just soaking it all in uh, I'm like this is you know this is something that I could get behind Um, and so it was it was their passion that kind of brought me along and and they kind of brought me into the fold so um, that's you know that's not a moment I'll ever forget because that was that was the start of this crazy journey so to speak so
1: that's how it starts just boom
0: and, and now my son will be indoctrinated uh, I, as long as I don't crush him like I almost did last football season when uh, something bad very happened Illinois game what's that?
1: The, the Northern Illinois game?
0: I don't remember what game all I know is that you know he had very young years and I shouted something that ought not be shouted around very young years while also leaping off the couch in disgust. And my wife, like, you know, she's like, we're just gonna go upstairs till the game's over. <laughs>
1: so, hey, man, I, I, that sounds about like my day during the Northern Illinois game. I was, I was barking at everybody.
0: All right, Haas, who is your? Let, let's let's. I almost don't want to bring up the fired coaches when I think we've talked about it enough, haven't we? Oh, we
1: got to. We got oh. to. I, I gotta. I gotta rustle some jimmies. As- <laughs> Some of the people well, let, in the let's, nation
0: community. Let's do that then. Uh, we're skipping around here. Uh, of the four fired coaches, you know their names, which do you most wish would have been successful?
1: Bill Callahan.
0: See, now, when we were on a, a couple weeks ago with, uh, I think, Salt, and, and, and that's what he said, then you jumped right in. I, I heard your sigh of relief. You're like, finally, somebody gets it. Explain yep. this to me because I met Callahan at – in person and I didn't care for him as a person or as a coach so so help me help me explain or help
1: me understand well, one, of the, one of the things about Bill Callahan and this is with the benefit of almost, you know over 10 years of hindsight the recruiting apparatus that he put into place in Lincoln I mean pulling a top five class his second year on the job that 05 class and just having class that were you know top 20. Um, like the 06 class was and 07, and God, that 08 class would have been, yeah, if he if we would have had a better year in 07 and he hadn't gotten fired, that 08 class probably could have been top three recruiting class in the country the way it was shaping up. And, you know, that, there was a lot of changeover at Nebraska, and recruiting was becoming more of a, you know, it was more closely followed, and, you know, with Rivals.com and all. All that, but he had the recruiting apparatus in place. He brought in a lot of good players. Um, yeah, I mean, the last years were with Calhoun's players 09 and 10. I mean, he, he brought in good offensive linemen, good running backs, he brought in good defensive linemen, linebackers, especially guys in the secondary like Eric Hag and Prince Amukamara, Larry Asante. Was uh, Alfonso,
0: I was going to say, was Alfonso dinner to uh Callahan recruit?
1: No, he was in Bo's first class. Okay. He uh, Bo recruited him after he took over the job. Okay. And so you look at all that talent that Callahan brought in. And then look at, I'm also guilty of always going back and watching old Nebraska games on YouTube, you know, from games I hadn't seen for a long time. And even in 07, when we were just, I mean, we were getting shellacked, on a regular basis. The offensive line play was damn good that we had. Um, it's no coincidence that Callahan's the best offensive line coach in the NFL. You know, with, he's with the Dallas Cowboys a few years ago, and now he's with the Washington Redskins. And he developed a lot of good offensive linemen here at Nebraska. And obviously offensive line being my favorite position in the sport, you know, that, that's kind of another check in the box for Callahan. And a lot of people – Hated the West Coast offense. Back in that era, I had to. You know, um, the, the insistence on the stretch play, you know, the outside zone stretch play mm-hmm. that would get strung. And just the short routes that were short of the sticks, and you know, teams are able to stay in cover two and squat their corners down low and just smother us. That was really irritating. I wish Callahan would have adapted more spread principles in that era. But one thing I really always liked about Calhoun was in big games, the bravado in his play column. Uh, You know, in big games, he knew the middle screen was going to get, you know, thrown out there. You know, they hit Corey Ross on the middle screen. He was, uh, you know, he'd pop for a big game. It was Iowa State in 05, Colorado in 05. Uh, other games that, you know, I'm not really thinking of right now. Uh, the halfback pass, Brandon Jackson, or Marlon Lucky to Nate Swift that Texas game Reverse is the surprise onside kick against Colorado in 04 to start the game that we recovered but we ended up not scoring because I think we finished the first quarter of that game with minus one yard of total offense (laughs) and um, so yeah I just wish Callahan would have been the most successful and again he recruited well he knew how to develop offensive linemen if he just would have adapted more of a wide open kind of spread philosophy and he could have blended that into his overall pro style um, philosophy that he believed in. That you know he knew how to coach it, he knew how to teach it, install it. And he believed in it. Along with if he would have just let Kevin Cosgrove take that Minnesota Vikings linebacker's coaching job in 06 or er, following the 06 season and gone and hired who he wanted to as a D.C., get an elite D.C., someone in that era would have been like a Will Muschamp. You know, like Salt said last week or two weeks ago, Callahan probably still wouldn't be here. He probably would have rehabbed his image enough to go back to the NFL. But we would have been more successful. And so, yeah, I mean, I I might be no – Some of the people might say I'm a little bit of a pariah now, Uh, still, you know, saying, hey, Callahan, wish you had been successful. But it's the truth. You know, he modernized Nebraska football. He brought a lot of people in this state still complain about throwing the football, throwing the damn ball, run the damn ball. You know, you know, he modernized it to the point that people are more comfortable even on a very small level with throwing the ball than they were. You know, under Solich. So, um, yeah. I, I In the pantheon of Nebraska football, and I misused the word pantheon there, because <laughs> you know, a connotation of doing something great. Um, whatever's the opposite of pantheon, okay? You know, whatever, you know, I, I'm drawing a blank here. Dumpster fire. Dumpster fire of Nebraska football for the past 20 <laughs> years, and it just kind of depends on how you feel about 98 to 01. In the dumpster fire of the past 20 years, I don't think Callahan did the most damage.
0: I would say that there's not a single coach that did the most damage, that it was more
1: an institutional
0: failure. I was going to say the, the administrators above them, Um, you know, Steve Peterson didn't do any favors. Sean Eichhorst had his uh, failures, but you know he had, I don't think people are going to rush to give Icores any credit. But he he did a couple things right. Um, I, nothing's jumping to the top of my brain right now, but I'm sure that there are a couple things right. Um, but yeah, it's not you. You can't put the state of Nebraska football solely on the four coaches who guided the program for the last twenty years. It's it, that's an impossible task to do. Um, and, and, like I said, it's more, it, it's at least equally uh, administrative as it is, you know, the actual product on the field. So, um, my answer might surprise people because I h- hadn't really trumpeted this uh, coach for some time. But of, of those four that, that we know, the one that I most wish would have been successful probably would be Bo. I think he did a lot of things right. I think he couldn't get out of his way. And it almost seemed uh, at times that he was allergic to success. Um, you know, for every two steps forward with Bo, it was like, you know, the, maybe not Bo, but, you know, the program, it was three steps back. You get to the Big Ten championship, you get trucked. Um, you know, you, you win nine games a, se- uh, a season, but you. You know the the couple of the losses that you have are, are big ugly losses. Um, you you know you bring uh, team Jack to the spring game, and that's you know, one of the most memorable spring game moments of any college program in the last fifteen years. And then you are recorded, and and uh, Patrick and I talked about this last week. Probably, maybe not illegally, certainly unethically, um, but you're still, you know, on tape, on record, uh, saying some really disparaging things about the fan base who, uh, you know, is wants to embrace you and love you and, and cheer for you. Um, it just, you know, I, I I, just think the guy couldn't get out of his own way. And if he does a few things different here or there, uh, you know, he, he might have been more successful uh, and you know who, who knows there might not have ever been a Mike Riley era because if if Bo would have surrounded himself uh, with the right people instead of with his people on the coaching staff there's no I don't know if there's a limit to you know where uh, he could have gone and, and where this program could be in 2018 you
1: know that that's kind of, it's interesting that you say that because I'm pretty well known as someone who was not a bow guy at all. But after sitting through the Riley era from 2015 to 2017, history, because of the, maybe it's because of the Riley era, maybe not, I don't know. History, from my perspective, I'm starting to look back a little more kindly on the Polini era. And not to the point that he's the one that I wish was successful, just in the spirit of this conversation. Obviously, like every coach we've had since Tom Osborne, I've wanted them to be successful. You know, I don't sit there wanting people to be fired unless the proof is in the pudding and, you know, it's the only way forward. Like I was with Bo, you know, from the time Wisconsin hung 70 on us forward. But when you look at what he accomplished, the nine wins per season – despite him just having a severe aversion to wanting to recruit, not making in-game adjustments, not updating, modernizing his defensive scheme to keep up with the proliferation of the spread offense in college football. Nine wins per year is pretty damn shocking when you consider that all those things weren't being done. Imagine what he could have done if he would have embraced all those things and done all those things to keep the program fresh and on the cutting edge instead of... Getting stale and then getting housed by teams that a seven and five Wisconsin team that you have no business losing to, let alone giving up 70 points to. So, yeah, I mean, if Boca had done some things differently, you know, things would be different right now,
0: Haas. As we turn things around and kind of come back to, you know, positive. Aspects. Who's your all-time favorite Husker?
1: That's a tough question, man. There's there's a lot of guys who you know whether they were just really good athletes, good players, you know, just freakishly talented. Can I make a guess? Yeah, it would
0: be before your time, as far as you know, being a fanatic, and I, I use that term you know endearingly um but an offensive lineman one who's okay. kind of been, you know, prominent into the fact that they named a uh an award after I I think you might be a Dave Remington guy.
1: If I was alive during his career, I would be. <laughs> but I always restrict the all-time favorite player conversation to one being alive during the time they played, and number two being a fan during the time they played. So sure. I can't sit here and be, like, oh uh, Zach Weeger, you know was my all time. favorite. <laughs> I can't say that I was alive, but I wasn't paying attention. Um, and there's really been no really good offensive lineman in the time I've been a fan. You know, if there we had like a dominant guard or center or tackle in that time frame, that'd be it, obviously. But I would probably have to say. You know, it's a toss-up between Rex Burkhead and Levante David. Yeah. You know, both those guys were just, you know, linchpins on each side of the ball, on their respective side of the ball. Rex brought it every game. Levante David brought it every game. I mean, Rex's performance against – I remember when he's a freshman, that drive against Colorado to salt the game away in 09. You know, he's just carrying guys, you know not going down on first contact, pushing the pile forward, getting first downs. And then games like in 11 against Michigan State when you rush for, you know, like 140 yards and 30-some-odd carries and just, you know, really spearheaded beating Michigan State. And then Levante David, I mean, there's so many moments. Stopping Daniel Thomas from K-State on fourth and one to open the game. Stopping Silas Red from Penn State on fourth and one to close out the game. The strip of Braxton Miller, just there one of my favorite Levante David memories against Iowa in 2011, where C.J. Fedorowicz, who now plays for the uh, Houston Texans, pushes him down, pushes Levante David down. He goes, Fedorowicz goes and catches the ball. It's for like a 15-yard gain. Levante David gets up off the ground, recovers to punch the ball out and recover the football. And Fedorowicz also gets flagged for an offensive pass interference. Like that was one of those moments where I was just like, that might be one of my favorite single plays by a Husker defender in my entire time watching Husker football. And
0: to to that point, uh, the second name that you mentioned is, you know, I mean that if we're keeping it to the criteria that you laid out got to be alive, have to have been a fan. Obviously I have, you know, much smaller, even, you know, sampling than, than you do, but Levante David, uh, you know, I, I look at him, I'm like, that's the kind of, you know, if, if my son grows up to play football, I'm going to just be like, Follow him. Follow Levante. Do what he does. You know, play like yeah. and, and hope. Hope to God that the kid gets uh, my wife's athletic ability because I'm not, uh, not athletically inclined. Um, but uh, um, you know, there's something about watching Levante David play, and, and we were we we're blessed to have him. Uh, you know, for the the two years that we did, um, and just watching him, watching him play the. The only one, see, there's something about that line a linebacker that is, um, you know, for me it's it's one of the more fun positions to watch play. You got to be versatile, um, you know. You got to be able to, uh, you know, uh, set the edge. Uh, you've got to be able to pass rush. You've got to be able to drop back in coverage from time to time. Levante David did all those things and he did them all, you know, exceptionally well. He's parlayed that into. Uh, a dynamite uh, pro career down at Tampa Bay may even be, I don't know. He might be a captain uh, of the team, something like that. I mean, he, the, the guy, I think he is. I'm sorry. I think he is. Yeah. He's a leader on the field. He's a leader in the locker room. He's uh he, he he's everything that I want to be when I grow up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, like, you know, you gave a couple of examples of, of his, you know, tenacity and, and the ability to make plays. I just remember more in, in general terms, just watching him fly around the field. Uh, he's a sure tackler, uh, and that's something that Huskers have needed for some time. So, um, you know, I have missed, you know, since since he's departed uh, in aspects, but just can't say enough about the guy. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge Levante David fan and uh, you've brought back some memories for me some things that I want to go back and, and check out on YouTube as well so I, I thank you Yeah,
1: hey, just doing my part
0: what is since we talked about all time favorite Husker what is your all time favorite Husker sports moment
1: oh man I know right this is tough yeah, because there, there are some moments that were really cool, but they occurred in losses. You know, like when Marlon Lucky threw the touchdown pass to Nate Swift to mm-hmm. take the lead against Texas in 06. I was at that game with my dad. Ah, man, that that place was rocking. The, the West Stadium stands were shaking. It was like being at a rock concert. That was one of the coolest, you know, Moments, and just watch you know watching Husker football, you know, right there that moment, in the game, how it ended it's just a whole other story that I don't feel like delving into right now. Right,
0: remember these, but, these,
1: these are happy happy thoughts, happy thoughts. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like Barry Switzer said, you know, you don't remember the wins, you remember the losses the most, you know. And most people, I hate losing more than I actually like winning, so losing just kind of sticks with me. And of course, kinda, that's probably why I'll have ulcers when I'm a coach, you know, because. Won't be able to get over losses. But, um, man, you know, beating Colorado 30-3 to in 05 was one of my all-time favorite wins as a Husker fan. Uh, you know, all-time favorite moments. Just, But I got to go with one that I witnessed live beating Michigan State in 2015. Brandon Riley catching that touchdown pass along the sideline. I, I've i never hugged so many strangers in my life. <laughs> I, I was just like, I was hugging everybody. I was, I was pumped, you know. Uh, I was cold as hell because I was up in the east balcony. It was a brisk November evening. But just that eruption of, you know, he catches it. Everyone's celebrating. They review it. They ruled that it was illegal touching, so the touchdown stands. You know, we hold Michigan State there at the end on their last drive when DJ Cools let me clear my throat started playing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that whole stadium—old people, young people—didn't didn't matter. You know, it was like Lyle Brems, man, woman, and child did that put him in the aisles. You know, it was just oh my god, it was electric. Lincoln downtown, Lincoln was like Mardi Gras that night. Let me let me tell you that. So, in an electric
0: atmosphere, uh, to say oh the least, God, I yes. there will wow. come a day. I don't know when it will be, I know it won't be this fall. There will be a day, a, a night when I will, I too will be celebrating in Lincoln after witnessing a Husker victory in Memorial Stadium. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, I'll probably be hanging out with you. Uh, so I apologize yeah. in advance. Um, uh, but, uh, I, I, I relish the the notion of that ever happening. My favorite Husker sports moment is insignificant in in the, I don't know, it, it, all right, I'll just say it, it was last year, uh, you know, getting off work, driving up to Champaign to watch the Friday night game of Nebraska-Illinois. Uh, I, I get up there, you know, I tailgate for – Forty-five minutes with uh, you know, my friends, and they had all the beer, uh, and I drank a few before I even got to the stadium, and and uh, can't carry them inside. You got to dispose of them before, and I wasn't about to. You know, I, I don't even know if you can get beer inside uh, uh, Champagne's Memorial Stadium, but uh, probably not. So I, 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 I drank a few Budweisers, uh, maybe a Keystone Light or two, and uh, don't judge me. Not- few pops what's that knocking back a few pops okay. yeah we we uh we we, we went uh barrel scraping <laughs> But uh, you gotta do what you gotta do you gotta do hey i didn't i'll tell you what uh it was free beer for me so i was just happy to be there um but uh you know i got to see you know and of course i'd moved away from this town where all, all my friends were living, so I didn't get to see them as often. So it was great to see them uh, hang out on a Friday night. But also uh, some more of our Twitter friends were at the game, like uh, Fate Kevin Coogler was there, and Rain Basin, and Only Jade. And uh, uh, they were, you know, g- good opportunity, good chance to uh, visit with them all, all briefly before uh, kick off, and make my way back to my seat. Made, met some new Husker fans who didn't mind the fact that I stood during the entire game because they also like to stand and they were behind me, um, and and the Huskers won and and I'd not seen the Huskers win uh, in my two previous uh, attempts or, or two previous uh, 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 going to games live. Um, so I, I you know it's like I said relatively insignificant. It was a, a one win out of four in a in Mike Riley's last year, but it was better than. You know, going up there two years ago in the cold and rain, and and them losing, and uh, you know I was just like I said happy to be there and uh, uh, thrilled to to be able to celebrate. Kind of obviously on my way, on my own on my way home. Uh, didn't didn't make the drive home the two and a half three hour drive home seem as long when uh, when the Huskers won that night. So like I said, relatively insignificant in the grand scheme of things, but uh, uh, something that I'll always take
1: with me. So. That's yeah, true. you know, it's, not, it's kind of one of those things, you know, the saying beauties in the eyes of the beholder. Damn right. Yeah. Th- those moments are kind of, you know, they're kind of for your eyes only, so to speak, you know, it's about what it means to you.
0: And and, and I'll tell you, the, the previous uh, trip to Champaign almost is there because my wife was there, you know, with me. She didn't go to the Friday night game, uh, but... Our unborn son was also there at that game, too. So that's like his first Husker game, even though they lost. And, you know, she was a trooper. She was uh, hanging out in the cold and rain the entire game as well. Or, or you know, kind of foggy type rain. But, uh, uh, you know, pregnant and still watching the Huskers and putting up with me. That's, uh, that, that's a that's a good woman right there. So That's one hell of a lady. Ah, you're telling me. All right, Hoss, we've come to... Our final question, which I think we've covered before, but let's rehash it briefly here. Okay. How did you start writing
1: for Coronation, sir? You know, I was thinking of that earlier today when we started, you know, talking about recording, you know, the schedules lined up. And honestly, I never – sorry, I apologize to every writer at Coronation right here when I say this. <laughs> I had never read Nation, a single time beforehand i knew who brian was because brian and i were on the same husker message board we followed each other on twitter um me and him would jab back and forth about things like pepsi versus coke um i would you know just you know he'd make a comment about living in texas and wanting to be back in nebraska and i'd always be like yeah but you got whataburger man you know love whataburger and uh I was sitting in the UNO library, it was like, it was the first year I transferred to UNO from community college, sitting in the library doing some homework, and phone went off and checked my phone, it was a Twitter DM, and I opened it up, and Brian was saying they were looking for someone to write about X's and O's, and a few other people they had talked to had recommended me, because they were, you know, busy with their own websites, and so I was just kind of like, yeah, sure. You know, I've always wanted to, you know, write about it. Just never had a platform to do it aside from just you know, tweets, you know, here or there when I'd be rewatching watching a game on a Sunday afternoon. And so the first game that I broke down was uh, the Oregon game because it was the week of the Oregon game when Brian messaged me. And ever since then, it's been, you know, breakdowns and, you um, contributing here or there on some other pieces, doing this, you know, the five heart podcast. And it's been, it's been fun. Like again, never really thought of i I do something like this, but it's helped me become an even, even more of a student of football. Um, I love the fact that it gives me more of an excuse to watch film. You know, I don't feel <laughs> bad about, ah, I want to watch film, but I need to do homework. You know, it's like, Oh no, I, I need to watch film cause I I have, I have a job to do, you know, with this. So, yeah, it's – I love it and, you know, thankful for Brian to for giving me the opportunity to do so. and uh, He used to – I used to drive him nuts because I didn't know how to cut video for a while. Oh. <laughs> in bed. And I'd, I'd, be, I'd be messaging him on Twitter or Slack at 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning as I'm getting ready to rewatch the game. I'm like, I need this play. I need that play. I need this play. You send him timestamps and, you know, what down it was. And then, you know, as I'm doing the breakdown, I might scrap a play, you know, because I'm like, I don't want to add that and do something else. And then he'd be, hey, why'd you give me this one when, you know, you didn't even use it? (laughs) So I didn't learn how to cut video until the first breakdown after he passed um, the Illinois game that you just referenced, the Friday night game last year. The second I learned how to do it, I was like, holy crap, this was easy, like. He should have just told me, you know, quit being lazy, learn how to do it. You know, to, can't get much more simple. But he was always available at a moment's notice to do it, and you know, again, thankful for the opportunity.
0: Brian has what been. About, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. no go ahead. I was going to say Brian's been. Uh, you know, as, as we've done many of these cross examinations, uh, with the exception of Mike, who was, you know, like the, the second man on board. And of course, John, who we'll talk to, you know, in, in a couple of weeks, I imagine. Uh, I think most of the people with maybe an exception here or there were kind of brought in by Brian. I mean, they were invited, uh, you know, Brian saw something on social media, Twitter or a message board or something like that, that, you know, caught his attention and, and, uh, dude had an eye for talent uh, with, with the exception of me, um, you know, because like I said, included. no, 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 you uh, like, like, those early it,
1: breakdowns
0: were bad, yeah. But it still takes somebody, you know, with, with a keen eye and, and and good, you know, good stuff between the ears to be able to do that. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't do an X's and O's breakdown. Um, you know, I could be like, uh, tic tac toe, that's how I break down my <laughs> X's and O's. Um, but uh, uh like I said, we were on you know the the Husker Locker you know podcast years ago and Brian I don't I don't think Brian just like arbitrarily jumped ship or anything I think Husker Locker was uh, going down or, or you're like hey you know we're we're not going to do this anymore and you know things like that um, I don't remember specifics but anyway Brian started going uh, working you know contributing a coordination and after that you know a little bit of time I been kind of out of the game for, you know, a little bit. And he said, hey, man, uh, uh, let you want to do a podcast over here on coordination? And I said, sure. Uh, so that's how Detassling the Huskers uh, was born. And that was the, uh, they're probably still on, truth be told, they're probably still on, uh, you know, in the archives somewhere if, if somebody wanted to go back and and uh, and find them. But it was our, our mailbag show. You know, people ask questions and we'd answer them to the best of our ability. And by the way, we should say right now that if you want to ask a questions for Haas and myself, uh, feel free to do so on social media. We'll, we'll, uh, you know, take, take your questions and answer them in the, the following week. But, uh, we did that for a little while. And in an off season, once we started, a, something called the coordination conversation, uh, which is much like what we're doing now in the cross examination. Uh, Brian talked with, you know, other members of the media that, that, followed the Huskers and, and, uh, you know, talked about, wrote about the Huskers. And I, uh, talked to a few fans, um, about the Huskers and, and that was, uh, you know, short lived. And then I don't know if, you know, life or something just kind of got in the way. And, and we ended up not doing the podcast for a few years yet. I was still on the email, uh, group and, and eventually in, in you know, as technology advanced, what became Slack chat room. And, uh, so again, before the 2016 season, um, I kind of got the itch to do something again. And of course I had the Jittery monkey podcast network. So I'm like, let's, I'm going to reach out to Brian see if he wants to. And he was on board. Um, and, and we did it all through football and basketball and a little bit of baseball, but around like may, June of last year, we kind of, uh, fell off a little bit. And then of course started up again for football and, uh, uh, you know, did it all the way up until uh, he got sick and was in the hospital, and and then you stepped in. Not, you know, you, just a, what we kind of thought was a one shot, and uh, and and here we are now. Um, you know, because you know, obviously, you know, Brian's untimely passing. So uh, yeah, that's how I got. You know, Brian brought me in, brought you in, brought uh, a lot of a lot of people in to coronation and, uh, um, now he's just got to, uh, uh, sit upstairs and, and, you know, be the puppet master and, and tell us all to dance because, you know, we're, I, I think, I think coronation will, uh, survive because of, you know, someone like Brian who, you know, left, uh, a, quite a legacy at coronation and, and, uh, you know, if John ever retires from from doing it, I, I still think that there's a strong enough foundation because of the work that the, the, those guys and Mike and uh, you know have put in to see that coordination continues uh, for for years to come. It's because because uh, guys like Brian who made sure that there was a, a the staff was strong. It wasn't just two three two or three guys trying to carry the load. It was it was a uh, Numerous diverse group of uh, wacky characters, essentially, Um, and and Brian had a a yeah, exactly a motley crew, and Brian had a a hand in bringing many of them, many of us in. So, uh, forever grateful because this is, you know, I've been fortunate enough to uh, you know be able to talk with you on a weekly basis, and and, you know, I've met Ty and met David, and uh, you know, when I get back to Lincoln, I'm I'm gonna meet a whole. You know, a host of the rest of them. So, yeah, I said met Brian. You know, a couple times down in Dallas, and uh, had my first In and Out Burger experience with uh, Brian. So that was fun. Took him a case of Ski as a as a thank you. So, um, yeah, that Brian Brian's the reason for the season, man. Yep he's
1: a he's a central figure. Wait, in did you most say cross examinations
0: did Did you say sexual figure?
1: Central figure. Okay, just make sure. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I I've often wondered about John and Brian. No, you,
0: you know, I had, we we were it was getting too heavy. I had to lighten it up a little bit. So, uh, yeah. All right, man. So we have officially been cross-examined. What? How's it feel to okay. uh, How's it feel to check your name off that list?
1: Uh, hopefully, there's no indictment coming. No, there's not. Maybe a deposition. Yeah. So. Oh man. You know. We're going to have to warn our listeners when we have John, our fearless, venerated leader, John Johnson, on. Uh, might not be a cross-examination. We might be serving an arrest warrant.
0: <laughs> uh, it'd probably be for uh, uh, holding us against our will or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So, no. Yeah. Uh, we love it at Coronation. We're uh, very thankful for Brian for bringing us in and for John for putting up with us. And uh, for you, the listener, who... It uh, takes time out of your uh, schedule to download the show, listen to the show. We appreciate any feedback that you uh, have for us. It's always enjoyable. Even if you want to shit on us, that's fine, too, um,
1: because we're remember, humans. And remember, tweet at us, not at players.
0: Yes, yes, uh, very important. I am at the Hooch 36 He is at Hoss Reuter, R-E-U-T-E-R, and, of course, the show at the number 5, heart podcast all crammed in there no underscores no dashes no anything like that uh, so tweet at us tweet at coordination yeah they don't they probably get enough tweets tweet at the three of us uh, because uh, like I said like the interaction uh, if you like the show great if you hate the show that's fine too you're that still listening um, and, and that's fine Just keep, keep, keep those numbers arising so uh, for my friend my broadcast buddy and my fellow Husker fan, Hoss Reuter, I am Greg Mahochko. We thank you so much for listening to this and any other episode of the Five Heart Podcast that you have uh, downloaded, or listened to in the past or future. And we remind you this week and every week that Five Heart is all the heart you need.
1: Go Big Red. Win the damn off season. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com.